You're listening to episode 30 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we empower you to grow with the children in your life. The benefits of books for children are immense. I covered this in episode 28, you know, on how to superpower your children's books. And also last episode in chatting to highly esteemed author, Suzanne Gervais, we really got to understand the power of story in being able to positively change children's lives. So where does one start in nurturing a love of books in children and raising readers? Today's chat is exactly all about that. I talked to an inspiring teacher librarian and author, Megan Daly, who has written a book all about it. You are going to learn super easy ways that you can raise a reader. Don't think that it's too late. Have a listen to Megan's great suggestions on where to start and how you even begin going about choosing a good book. Megan also shares her top three tips on how to nurture a love of reading. And we also address the bookworm, like what to do if you're living with a book-obsessed child. Also, importantly, you want to stay tuned to discover how you can personally make and have a positive impact on the way your child's school or the school you work at can embrace literacy, literature, and the richness of the far-reaching positive effects that come with nurturing a love of books in our students. So joining me today is Megan Daly. She is passionate about children's literature and sharing it with young and old alike. In Daylight Hours, Megan is a teacher librarian at a girls' school in Brisbane, Australia, and was recently awarded the Queensland Teacher Librarian of the Year by the School Library Association of Queensland, as well as the National Dromkeen Librarians Award presented by the State Library of Victoria. A former National Vice President of the Children's Book Council of Australia, she's currently on the Queensland chapter of the board of the Australian Children's Laureate and is a judge for the Queensland Literary Awards. She blogs about all things literary, library and tech at childrensbooksdaily.com. Megan is also the author of Raising Readers and interestingly, she also thinks that sleep is overrated. Welcome to Chat About Children, Megan. Thank you for having me. Can I just start with sleep being overrated? Because there's probably some parents <laughs> listening who are so sleep deprived and they're like, what is this chick on about? Let's just start with that one. Why is sleep overrated in your eyes? Well, look, my great-grandmother only just passed away recently and I have a long line of women in my family with terrible insomnia. I've done sleep clinics, I've done stays in hospital, I've tried everything, hypnotherapy, I've done it. And I've just come to a point in my life where I've had to decide that sleep is overrated and then I get a lot more done because I sleep a bit less than most other people. (laughs) Fantastic. Thank you for giving us the background to that one. And, you know, you're probably right. You do get a lot more done. You can fit more into your day. So I can, but I do walk around with bags under my eyes. So, you know, there's pros and cons. (laughs) Oh, well, look, that's giving hope to all those sleep-deprived parents out there. So That's right. I like to give hope. (laughs) We are a hopeful bunch. So Megan, tell me, this year actually, you launched your book, Raising Readers, and how to nurture a child's love of books. And that's the topic today. And before we launch into that, we know a little bit about you being a teacher librarian, but what was it that led you there in the first place? 
Look, I like telling this story because I feel like I might be starting a dynasty of teacher librarians. My mother is a teacher librarian and I spent a lot of my childhood in her school libraries and spent my school holidays helping her do book week displays and whatnot. And I absolutely loved it. So I started my teaching career as an early childhood teacher, but always with the intention of becoming a teacher librarian. And you used to have to have done five years of teaching before you could do the teach librarian course. But I put in a very good argument to a university in Queensland here about why I should start my teach librarians and I'd finish my early childhood degree. They did let me. So at one stage, I was the youngest teacher librarian in Queensland. And for that honour, I ended up on a billboard. I am not the youngest teacher librarian in Queensland anymore by a long shot. But I just always knew I wanted to be a teacher librarian. And I've got two daughters myself and they love playing libraries. And, I, you know, we do joke in my family about maybe starting a line of teacher librarians. Oh, we need as many as we can get, Megan. We need as we many do. as we can get. And well done. And that's a beautiful story, actually. And it's just lovely to kind of hear that influence that your mum had. And she pretty much started nurturing your love of books and reading from back she then. She absolutely did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's wonderful. So, I mean, what's compelled you now to feel like you've had to write a book on how to nurture a child's love of reading? What kind of gave you that driving force? What were you seeing and hearing out there? Yeah, well, when I was pregnant with my own children, I remember, you know, doing all of the right things. I, you know, I purchased books on breastfeeding and I purchased books on organic foods and all of the sorts of things I thought that I should be reading about. And I do remember having this vivid thought that there wasn't a book out there that told me how to create a reader. And obviously, as a teacher librarian, I perhaps didn't need that. Need that. But when I had my children, a lot of my, you know, really well-educated and passionate about parenting friends would say things like, oh, are you already reading to your baby? And I'd be like, yeah, I was reading when I was pregnant aloud to my child. And just occurred to me that I felt like there was a bit of a gap in the market. There was books out there about the importance of reading aimed at educators, but I didn't see anything out there aimed at parents. So it really started from there because I just feel like I'm a teacher myself and as a parent, I know that we all want to be involved in our children's education and I feel like literacy is one area where we can have, as parents, a very profound impact on our children's level of literacy and love of literacy. Absolutely, absolutely. Parents are have a huge influence and you're right, I think that sometimes there's just that you don't know what you don't know that's going on out there and as speech pathologists, that's a big part of what we train within parents is how do we get books into the daily routine? Because for a lot of them, there isn't that understanding of how they do actually benefit. So your book is very exciting for parents yeah, well, and for educators. Yeah, I feel like exactly what you just said is so true. We just don't know. I mean, we hear so much in the media about the right things to do with our children in terms of food and nutrition and all of those sorts of things. I just don't see enough, as far as I'm concerned, out there about the absolute vital importance of sharing stories and sharing words and sharing language with our young babies and children. Absolutely. So yes, we need more of it. And and I'm pretty sure that you've got hundreds and thousands of speech pathologists behind you on this one too. So <laughs> definitely. So tell me, who has the book been popular with so far? Because you might get kind of the book type person that will go, oh yes, 
I definitely want to, you know, know a bit more about this. So who's the book been popular with? Look, you're right. It's been popular with the already converted. And that is was always one of my concerns. So I have a blog and I've got quite a strong social media following. And I know that I've been so incredibly well supported by the people that were already following my blog. But they are already the people that know all of the sorts of things that they need to be doing. So it's reinforcing for them, positive reinforcement for what they're already doing and some ideas for other things that they can do. But I have been really pleased. I've made a really big effort to do lots and lots of talks in libraries in Queensland and I'm doing quite a few regional talks in libraries and they're all free public library programming talks. And I have been so blown away by the attendance at those events. And I've done a bit of work with First Five Forever in Queensland, which is a great program which looks at really supporting parents of under fives to just encourage that love of literacy and of learning. So it's been popular with librarians and with educators and also with parents. And I've had a few different companies who have purchased books or I had an obstetrician who's been giving them to mothers who've had a baby with them and then I've had a music organisation purchase them for all of the childcare centres they work with. So it's had much more of a far-reaching reach, I suppose, than what I had anticipated and I have been so, so pleased with that. Well, congratulations. That's huge and hopefully it continues to be widespread and just getting that word out there. And look, it is a slow process, I guess, or a gradual process. Yeah, it is. And that can sometimes be really frustrating, can't it? And when we're trying to reach people that need it the most, that can be a hard slog. But like you said, I think a slow burn is is fine. I feel like it's a book which is fairly timeless. And obviously, some of the book lists may need updating in future editions. But I feel like it is going to have a slow burn. And I've had some really, really lovely emails or comments at Library Talks from people who maybe, you know, wouldn't have purchased this book had they not been attracted by the cover or, you know, heard it talked about somewhere else. So I think it's just we chip away at things where we can, don't we? Absolutely. And just keeping that awareness is really, really important. And as you said, tapping into those groups or those associations where it is very much that early development, kind of early childhood stage and, you know, capturing yes. it at that point where parents are trying to, I guess, do their best with parenting. So fantastic. So I wish you all the best with just, you know, continuing to spread the word and that's part of why we're chatting today. So it's yeah, great. Yeah. So tell me a bit about choosing a good book. So sometimes this can be a bit overwhelming for some parents and some professionals and professionals that work with children where, you know, will encourage daily book sharing, but then the parent will kind of go, well, how do I know which ones to choose? Can you tell us a little bit from your perspective, how do you advise parents and professionals how to choose a good book, if for want of a better term, or for where to start in selecting books? Yeah, that's a really big one because, again, as busy parents, we're off in shopping centres doing our grocery shopping. So the place where we might find the most books is going to be in the larger department stores. And if at all possible, I do like to encourage avoidance of those the types of books that are often sold in large department stores only because they are maybe more mass produced. They're sometimes attached to a brand. So I won't mention any brands, but you know, there's some big brands out there which have books which are attached to them. They're often not written 
by people who are passionate about early literacy and they're often not even written particularly by people who consider themselves authors. So a great place to start is with your local independent bookstore. But again, if that's a bit tricky for you to get out to when you have small children, it's one of the reasons I started my blog and there is stacks of bloggers talking about children's books and the best children's books out there. A really good idea, I think, curate your social media so that you're following some children's book bloggers that you trust their recommendations, you trust their reviews. I think it's also really nice to follow authors that you particularly like. So if you've picked up a book by Matt Stanton that your children have really, really enjoyed, then follow Matt Stanton on social media and you will then get notification of when his next book is out. Or follow the authors that your children love, you know, Aaron Blaby, for example, who doesn't love yes. Thelma the Unicorn. And a lot of almost all authors and illustrators these days have a great social media presence. So I talk about curating your social media to fill it with books and literary type recommendations. So I think independent bookstores are a great start. I think following bloggers online and authors online is a great place to start. And also using your local public library and getting to know your librarian there. And also when your children are school age, please use your teacher librarians because teacher librarians are able to really put together a, a beautiful list for your children to read. I spend a lot of time speaking with parents in my role as a primary school teacher librarian, you know, talking about with parents and with children, well, what have you enjoyed reading? What are the last three books you've enjoyed reading? What, where can we go to from here? So a good book is whatever your child engages with, and sometimes that can be those branded type books, which do come with a toy. And that can be somewhere to start. You know, it's all about hooking a child into books. But in terms of what is a really good book, a good book is written by someone who is a passionate author. A good picture book, for example, has got a beautiful synchronicity between words and images. And it's just been put together with care. And it's been published by a publisher who cares very deeply about early literacy. And we are so lucky in Australia. Our children's publishing industry is incredibly vibrant. It's a beautiful place to inhabit, I have to say. <laughs> and the people in the industry are very passionate about Australian children. Absolutely. And you're so right in terms of what you can find online. There are some excellent, and you know, obviously your blog is one of them, but excellent sources that you can just link into very quickly and also get the latest, like what's current release, what's been, what's won an award, what's getting some attention, all of those things. We can pretty much get that news very quickly online. You can. You know, takes the pressure off busy parents. It does. Mm. Yeah. And awards are actually you know, I often say when I'm speaking at public libraries about this, I don't really know very much about wine. So I tend to choose my wine based on how many stickers it has, which I've heard isn't a great way to choose your <laughs> wine, but it actually is quite a good way to choose your books. So those gold stickers and the bronze and the blues, they're from the Children's Book Council of Australia. Actually, those awards are very, very well respected. Those stickers are worth their weight in gold. And there's other great awards like the Speech Pathology Awards, Speech Pathology Literary awards it's one of my favorite in the country the books that they choose every year are just absolutely must have so awards are a really good thing to have a look at as well yep absolutely so tell me Megan what's your opinion when it comes to physical books versus ebooks because as you've seen screens have become a bit more of a competitor when it comes to physical books and ebooks what's your thought on 
all of that when you're talking to parents and professionals? What advice do you give? Does it differ depending on age? Where are you at? I just think that we have to have balance in all things. As a teacher librarian, obviously, I love and adore print books. And I do not believe that a picture book will be effectively replaced by an e-book version because there is something about the physicality of a picture book and a child learning how the pages turn and feeling the pages, hugging a book that they really, really enjoy. There's something very physical about an actual print book. However, I think that the ebook revolution has been fantastic as well for so many children. It's opened up reading to children who may not have been able to access reading as easily previously. So I work with a lot of dyslexic students at my school and ebooks have been brilliant for them because the click of a button, we can change the font to a dyslexic friendly font. For children with sight issues, we can make the fonts larger. You know, there is so many options customized reading with an ebook. So I actually think that it's just all about balance. By and large, in my primary school library, the students still prefer, right up into the high school years, they still prefer to read a print book. But we offer ebook versions of a lot of books and we also offer audio. And I think that audio books are one of the most wonderful things, formats to read in ever. I think that there used to be this idea that an audiobook was a lesser choice, but in fact, there's a lot of research into the way the brain processes its story. An audiobook is an absolutely valid choice. It's fantastic for children to hear language in an audiobook. You hear tone, you hear expression, you hear modulation, you hear pace. You know, all of those things are so important. So I know, for example, my two girls have always gone to bed listening to audiobooks and we use audiobooks a lot at school and I encourage parents to use them all the time and to not consider them a lesser choice. It's just all about balance. Totally agree. And audiobooks, I think I'm hoping they're slowly on the rise. Again, something I recommend quite a bit for the reasons you mentioned regarding language. But it really is, I find, a very practical way to enhance that nurturing of storytelling, of potentially reading and then going, oh, well, this is the picture book that goes with what I heard. It really complements. And I think it's quite helpful, as you say, to coming from that visual angle where you have a mm. physical book and there's that connection, etc. And then you're coming at it from an auditory angle. It has a much deeper, I think it resonates more deeply if you actually can get both sometimes. Oh, it's wonderful. It's such a wonderful way to access story. And all of those things that you said are just so important. And also from an educational point of view, we are asking children these days to do so many oral presentations and for them to be able to hear beautifully read stories by, you know, like David Walliams reads some of his own books, Stephen Fry reads the Harry Potter books, you know, modelling the way we should be talking in oral presentations and when we're reading aloud, it's just a brilliant way to learn how to do that really well through audiobooks. Fantastic. So now give us some insight. What are your top three tips? We can't give everything away, obviously. <laughs> from the book. What are your top three tips or favourite tips on how to nurture a love of books in children? First thing I think that you have to do is you have to make it fun and you have to make it about 
love and nurturing. I think that it's really important we lay some strong neural pathways associating reading with times of warmth and love and fun. So I think that it should never be a lesson. And that's coming from a teacher, but I think that at home and actually educators should make reading a fun, wonderful experience. My second tip is that the adults in the child's life, whether they be parents, grandparents or carers or educators, need to model their own love of reading. I think it's really important that young children see the adults in their life valuing reading. And gosh, a third tip. A third tip would be to make sure you match your child to the right book at the right time for them. So if you are going to try and lay your expectations on them about what they should read, that's not going to work. You may have loved reading Snuggle Pot Puddle Pie as a child and you may desperately want your child to enjoy that at the age of six. But you know what? Actually a bit of a scary book and they may not be ready for it. Let them choose what they want to read at the time that suits them. Absolutely. Very good advice. Very good advice. Thank you, Megan. So if we're looking at, I guess, what's happening out there and that there is a bit of a decline in in teacher librarians and funding's not always being put into areas such as the library and its resources, it's becoming a real challenge. What can we do? What can we suggest to early childhood educators and to teachers within that classroom format? Because it is becoming more challenging. What can educators and teachers do in early childhood and primary level to try yeah. to you know, inspire or spark that nurture of book loving? It's similar to what I said earlier in regards to parents. I think that educators really need to, and I've done a lot of talking to educators since my book has come out. And I guess one of the things I've already known, have always known, but has become more apparent to me is that educators are just so incredibly busy that they don't necessarily have the time to invest in their own recreational reading and keeping up with what is current in children's literature and the space of children's literature and even in terms of what is current research around reading development. So I would say that it's important that early childhood educators and primary school educators continue to remain passionate about reading as best they can in a very crowded curriculum, prioritise it and make it enjoyable. I think as educators, we have a tendency to pull books apart and overanalyze them to the point that we don't, our students don't enjoy them anymore. And we do that to model the way language is written and to teach children how to write language. And I understand that, but we shouldn't be doing that to every book. Not every book needs to be an educational moment or a teachable moment. Sometimes books can just be plain old fun. And then the other thing that I would say is that it's incredibly important that educators use their teacher librarians. If you do not have a good teacher librarian at your school, you need to do something about that. You need to advocate for better support in the library. You need to advocate for more money for the library budget. You need to advocate for a teacher librarian if you don't have one. There is an absolute decline in teacher librarians. And I think some of that is down to the fact that teachers just don't know how to use teacher librarians. I used to work in McDonald's when I was a teenager and as far as I'm concerned, you know, I was in the customer service industry then, I am still in the customer service industry. My clients now, my customers are my my teachers and my students and my parents and your teacher librarian is in customer service and should be helping you and you should be accessing them and using them. 
and I've got a chapter in my book about what a good teacher librarian looks like and how you can advocate for one in your school. If there's parents listening to this, I don't think parents should underestimate the power of they have within a school system. I've recently worked with a local school whose teacher librarian retired and they hadn't had one for two years. The library had been shut. They've used parts of my book and the PNC has become very active in advocating for a teacher librarian and they just had one start full-time last term. So I think that there is opportunities out there to Turn the tide on teacher librarians. We have specialist PE teachers, we have language teachers, we have you know, specialist science teachers and drama teachers, why would we not have a specialist in reading? It blows my mind. Oh, I'm with you. And I think what you say makes so much sense. It's just getting that courage, isn't it? Just take the first step. And even if you kind of buddy up with another parent, if that's going to increase the bravery around it, because sometimes it can feel intimidating or, oh, I'm one person and what, how, why would they listen to me? You're right. You know, is there a small step, whether it's writing an email, whether it's getting your your parent buddy and just going, how about we just start a conversation? And you don't know how many other parents are thinking or feeling the same thing until you actually take that first step. Or as I said, send an email, ask a question, get a petition started, just work out what everyone else is thinking. But someone's got to kind of start that and take that courageous step. They really do. And everything that you've just said, I 100% agree with. And, you know, I just would absolutely encourage people listening to really get on board with supporting their teacher librarian and their school library and advocating for more. Yep, I'm with you. And there are ways I've actually seen online that you can actually actively do that online too now. Um, You can. There's a great website called Students Need School Libraries, which has every bit of advocacy that you will ever need. And it is absolutely brilliant. And their campaign and their hashtag Students Need School Libraries is really getting gaining momentum. And I think that I like to think, look, I've been a teacher librarian for, oh, oh my gosh, like coming up to 20 years. And I have to say, I feel like I've been fighting for my job for that entire 20 years or justifying my job. I'm hoping we might see a bit of a shift in that. Fingers crossed. We just got to keep chipping away. Keep chipping away. We do. We are not quantifiable. Our worth is not quantifiable on NAPLAN results and any kind of standardised testing. And I think therein lies the problem. There is data being collected around what teacher librarians bring to a school, but we need more of that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So yes, let's get together and go online and do what we need to do and walk into our schools and yep, our associations and just say something, start a conversation. I think that's really what we're trying to say here. Now I've got another question because I'm mindful of time, Megan, and we've covered some very, very important things today. But can we go the other side of the scale now? Because we can have kids who are like total bookworms. You know, my kids are real bookworms. They love books, love reading. You know, it's that whole escapism that it provides amongst many other things. But sometimes, like, even for me, I'm kind of like, now I need need for them to come and have dinner with us. I actually want to have a conversation and I'm so big on books, but then it's like, I don't want to discourage them from reading books, but how do I delicately get that balance of bookworm and actively participating in the real world? What are your thoughts on that one? Look, I've got exactly the same problem. And in the past on social media, I've said things like, you know, I've had to, you know, ban my children from reading for an hour and people get really 
in arms and they say, you should be so happy you've got a child that reads. And I'm like, yeah, but they can't throw balls or kick balls. So, you know, it's just like you would hope the librarian and the speech pathologist children would be the readers, wouldn't you? You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but it's the same. You know, I use the sporting analogy a lot. I'm very good friends with the PE teacher at school and her daughter has dyslexia and reading for her has been a real struggle but she actually sees herself very much as a reader she has a great identity as a reader but she's incredibly great at sport my children are incredibly voracious readers they're not so keen on sport (laughs) so we often talk and we've talked to a few events together where we do talk about balance in all things and I've said that once before in this um, episode but balance is really important I actually do have to take books away from my children sometimes and I also like to stretch out their reading. I don't love it when my, say, 11-year-old, she's racing through the Land of Story series at the moment by Chris Colfer and I actually want her to slow down because I don't think she's appreciating it the series and the beauty of the writing. So, you know, I will say to her, right, well, that can be dessert, but first we're going to do something else. We're going to read a nonfiction, which isn't her passion. We're going to read a recipe and cook something. I just talk about, you know, we've got to have balance in all things. The other side of that is that if you want to encourage your really keen reader and there are several students, you know, over the years that I've been a teacher librarian that I've had to say you can't come to the library every lunchtime because they sit in here and they read every lunchtime and they're not socialising and they're not running around and, you know, getting a bit of sunshine. So I do have those situations where I've had to say time to stop reading. But reading can also be a social activity. So I do sometimes reading outside at lunchtime. We've got a few fairy gardens that I've set up around the school. We've got picnic rugs and they've got little fairy gardens that the students can play with and we've got fairy books on picnic rugs and that encourages play around reading. I've also set up pop-up tents in the playground. For those kids who for whom the library is a safe place and books are escapism and books are an escape from the playground, sometimes the playground can be quite a stressful place, they can still be with their peers in the playground, but they can still have that safety of the book. I also think that book clubs are a really good thing to get voracious readers into. And I've got an e-course on my blog, sort of three quarters done, which is about establishing book clubs for tweens and teens so that reading can become a social activity. Because I don't know about your children, but my children you know, we'll have friends over, they'll have friends over and they'll still be reading. And I'm like, dude, you've got to talk to your friend. They've come over to play. You've got to talk. So, but I think that book clubs can be a really nice social activity as well. So again, it's about balance. It's about having those conversations with your children where you say, okay, now you've got to go and do, I don't know, some star jumps or play some netball. I don't know. I don't really like sweating myself, but you know, it's about balance and it's about making reading a social activity. I love the clubs that I run at school and I run intergenerational ones between parents and children or grandparents and children and they become such a great talking point and conversation point and time of socializing around reading. Yeah and you're right it does it can actually enhance the social side of things if sometimes it is facilitated by something like a book club and that shows that they're hopefully really understanding what they're reading and they have digested it and they can have a really good discussion about it too. That's so right, actually- particularly as you move into those tween and teen years, there's some really challenging topics that you need to discuss with your children. And 
They can be uncomfortable conversations to have. You know, how are you going to react when somebody offers you alcohol at a party or how do you navigate tricky situations in the playground or how do you navigate grief? And there's so many books out there which deal with all of those topics. I can find you a book on every topic under the sun. And when you do it in a book club situation, you're then having really good conversations with children about what they're reading and about the heavy topics. And parents and grandparents can have, you know, they're gateways. Books are gateways to some really tricky conversations. Yep, you're absolutely right. They certainly are. And they do introduce kids and parents into just a whole new world of what's going on. I know, like, even I picked up a book that I typically wouldn't read. It was more for the tweens. But I learned so much from reading it. You know, Mm, oh, okay. That's what that, you know, social media symbol thing looks like you know absolutely yeah it helps and and I often say to parents in sort of those early years of high school if you want to understand what your teens are up to start reading young adult literature because so many things are explained to me about young people through young adult literature and sometimes I have to google what they're talking about but (laughs) honestly I feel like you remain current as an individual when you are reading current children yeah Exactly. Absolutely. So tell me, you've kind of given us so many messages today, but is there one final take-home message for our listeners, for both parents and professionals, Megan? What is that? Look, my take-home message would be make reading a joyous experience for the young people in your life and access anything that you need to develop an identity in your young person as a reader. Regardless of reading difficulties and differences, every child deserves an identity as a reader and it's our responsibility as parents and educators and professionals to help them develop that identity. Thank you. Very well said. So, Megan, where can we learn more about your book reviews and other resources that you offer? Pretty much everything that I um, think is, I'm trying to think of a more pleasant word than vomited out. Everything that, <laughs> my entire brain is on my blog, which is childrensbooksdaily.com and my social media. You know, I talk about the things that are happening in my own life and I talk about children's books and what is happening in the children's literature space at childrensbooksdaily.com and on all of my social media platforms. I'm sure I've got RSI in my Instagram thumb already. But, you know, I really enjoy the online space. I found it incredibly supportive and I feel like it's such a great resource for time poor parents. Fantastic. So childrensbooksdaily.com. Megan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you chat about children today. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Simply inspiring interview there with Megan Daly with her book, Raising Readers, How to Nurture a Child's Love of Books, published by University of Queensland Press. You can follow Megan at childrensbooksdaily.com and I highly recommend that you do. If you have enjoyed this episode and you know that a family member, a friend or a colleague is going to benefit from the information that we've shared, please do share this episode and this podcast. And remember to write a review and to subscribe to the Chat About Children podcast. Now, one thing that I just want to put out there, I'm on the lookout for sponsors for the Chat About Children podcast. If you are listening out there or you're part of a workplace whose values support that of Chat About Children or you're a business owner and you'd like to reach out to our wonderful audience, please feel free to email your expression of interest to info at chataboutchildren.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. 
Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Vestalich. www.chataboutchildren.com. Chataboutchildren.com.